Now, about 10 days ago, the results, the 10-year results of the Nelson lung cancer screening trial came out. All right? And you're in the midst of me writing an article that's going to go out in the BMJ, hopefully by the end of the week. So everything I say now, if it sounds good, it will go in there, and if you don't understand it, I'll have to rethink it through. But what I'm going to start with is going back a year, and that's what I was playing. I want you to just watch this two-minute video. Let's see if we can make this work. Disease is early. It's a no-brainer, isn't it? Like save from regular tests and scans. But it's not that simple. The latest screening rollout announced by NHS England today comes in the form of lung health checks. These checks started out in trucks in supermarket car parks in Manchester where the incidence of lung cancer is around double the national average. Your arms away from your chest. NHS England says the Manchester Project scanned 2,541 patients and found 61 with lung cancer, picking them up at an earlier stage. Now the trucks will visit 10 new areas at a cost of £70 million over four years, targeting people at high risk of lung cancer. They say it will save hundreds of lives across the country, but not everyone agrees. Newsnight has seen a letter from senior doctors and public health officials to Simon Stevens, the chief executive of NHS England. It raises substantial objections to lung health checks. They say proponents underplay the harms and overplay the benefits. They point to Canadian data which attempt to quantify this. For every thousand people scanned annually for three years, 391 will show apparent indications of lung cancer. However, only 40 of those positives are genuine. Of those 40, seven would not have died of the disease. 30 would have died anyway. And just three lives are saved. <coughs> Meanwhile, among the false positives, Four will suffer major complications as a result of treatment, and one of those four will die. So, um, that was interesting, wasn't it? We spent £70 million on trucks that now go into supermarkets and case find people, don't screen, they case find people for lung cancer, inviting people at high risk, in high risk areas. And one of them areas is North Manchester, where I'm from originally, and this is a copy of the letter to Simon Stevens, and you can see it's coming from my email account. So I'm one of them senior doctor people who likes to make a nuisance of myself by making us think about what we're doing in healthcare. It's very interesting to me how little people actually think about and go behind what we actually do in the system. We tend to do things and roll them out. And here's one of the point two. There is concern that there is no benefit to all-cause mortality. What they was doing there, I'll come back to the National Lung Screening Trial, was an American trial. But in Europe, there's been a trial called the Nelson. And it was published in a conference, and it wasn't quite clear what was going on. We are concerned that enthusiasm for screening exceeds a deliberate and independent effort to understand the benefits relative to the cost. Because this is not going to cost 70 million. This is only in a few areas. This is going to cost in excess of a billion. Because Nelson, as you'll see, involves 
annual screening, in fact it involves four screens within the first two and a half years, and it's not even clear what happens beyond that, whether you should keep screening. So I wrote this, it's a blog last year called Understanding Lung Cancer Screening, and in there I put some really interesting points. I put the point about what, what you've just seen in the program, that the CT screening reduced lung cancer by mortality by 26% in men and between 39 and 60% in women. That's what was in the conference. But remember, it's this thing called lung cancer mortality. Now immediately we read that, I think what happens is, we remove these words in our mind and there's something comes into our psyche that it reduces mortality. Because if you reduce mortality by that much, that'd be really impressive, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what's he on about? Okay. And what they do is, when they do these projects, you get this stage shift. Of the people who are turning up in Manchester, about 18% were diagnosed at stage one. And after the scans turned up, more people were diagnosed at stage one, nearly half the people. So immediately we go, that's a good thing. Surely if you get people earlier, you can intervene. And that going back to that chart, remember the chart which said there are some fast and some don't progress? This makes an assumption that everything is going to progress, therefore it's a good thing. Okay. Now here's the NLST. This was this is, I love this stuff, and I think we need more of this type of stuff, because it's really helpful. This is the, the, the Canadian Task Force, which was in the Deborah Cohen article in Newsnight, and she'd taken this and broke it down. And it's very helpful to look at this type of stuff. Okay. But one of the arguments in the NST, why it didn't apply in the UK, is that they had a much more inclusive early diagnosis. So the size of the nodule matters. So if you take very small nodules, you, you end up biopsying everybody. If you take larger no nodules, you can reduce this number. And the Nelson said, we're going to reduce this number. So what they've come out with really matters. They're going to say, we reduce the false positives and the risks of overdiagnosis. Okay. So remember... And, and this is one of the things, so when you look at this, this is a thousand people, yeah? And I'll come back to some of it. Seven of the 40 diagnosed lung cancers would not have caused illness or death over diagnosis. So it's seven per thousand, yeah? So you identify a thousand people, you screen them, and of them, 40 people will have a diagnosis of lung cancer after they've had biopsy, but seven of them wouldn't have progressed, whatever. That's the overdiagnosis, and 33 was. That's a sort of estimate of what, how much overdiagnosis is going on. Okay. So the Nelson trial comes out. So this is some of the information I'm now going to provide you and try and walk you through how I think about trying to tease out the important information. Now, one of the things about evidence-based medicine, which is really interesting, is you really can make a name for yourself if you can be bothered. Because nobody else can be bothered to look at this stuff and try and understand it. There's only a few people who really can say, I was going to try and understand this and share that information. So if you want a route to a really impressive career, just say I'm going to look at stuff, spend an hour of my time and try and understand it so I can do a talk like this in your own institution and maybe write it up. So, so, this is the bit which I wrote the year before. This is the press release and when it came. But they said, we'd done the screening, and the abstract, this was at the conference, reported there were 214 lung cancer deaths in the male control arm and 157 deaths in the screen arm. Yeah? See that thing happening again? See how the lung cancer disappears? Yeah? So suddenly you're like, well, okay. And so, actually, it reduces. 
and but it comes back again mortality rate ratio for men is 0.26% reduction in death or 26% reduction in lung cancer death yeah so and this is how it how it then gets interpreted decrease mortality by 26% in high-risk men why are we not getting on with it then you see what really matters is language matters because bits get missed out and then this gets interpreted into this and therefore we end up with a screening program now this is a Nelson trial that came out February 6 hot off the press reduced lung cancer mortality with volume CT screening in a randomized controlled trial okay now high risk lung cancer mortality was significantly lower among those who underwent volume CT screening among those who underwent no screening okay all right I'm gonna try and now break that down because when I read this stuff I never feel that uh, informed I read these abstracts and I try and go what is this trying to tell me and look at the way the data is presented things like 4.91 cases per thousand person years what does that mean what's the difference between 4.9 and 0.91 of a person is that important how are we supposed to interpret that then you'll flip to relative rate cumulative rate ratios and then you'll come back to another one and then you've got the rate ratio so we flip in mass all the time and so even I, I find this really difficult to understand and the only people who don't are the ones who don't read it so as soon as you read these and you think god this is difficult you should do because I it's not clear to me if this is deliberate an attempt to make sure nobody quite understands this so you can make a, this or it's just incompetence or it's deliberate bit of both bit of everything isn't it but it certainly isn't wrote in a, in a way to understand the information so let me take you through the information and you can see it. so the first thing is table two screening test results in each screening round for male participants so the first thing is I go right here we go round one two three four okay so there's 22,600 yeah and uptake of that I'm happy here is 90% that's helpful information 90% that's quite a lot isn't it in a screening round this is a pretty compliant population but that's helpful but what I do then is try and break this down into useful information because I don't think these figures help me so I break everything down to what happens if I just take that thousand people a bit like Deborah Cohen showed us what happens if you take a thousand people 71 people will have a positive test after four screening rounds of which 31 will detect lung cancer that's 44 percent yeah and 40 will be falsely diagnosed yeah happy with that and so that's that figure there the 44 percent I was round up because I don't believe there's such a thing as a half a person yeah and, the, and, and so it's either 43 or 44 but that doesn't matter so you're happy that's my first step when I interpret to take a thousand people how many will have a positive test now if I took that and took that away you couldn't actually say anything sensible about that could you based on that table but once you give a thousand it becomes really simple all right about 71 people will have a positive test and nearly a half of them will have lung cancer and just over a half won't and that's that important figure there okay so that's my first bit my second bit then is to start to look at this piece of information which tries to tease out some of these issues of overdiagnosis. Yeah. So what, what this says, if you look at the whole number of cases here, yeah, any lung cancer is 344 
and in the control group it's 304. Yeah? So the difference between the two is what they're trying to say is the overdiagnosis component. You've got 40 excess cancers that you've detected. Yeah? And that's in the group, they say, an excess of was found among the male participants in the screening group 10 years after randomization, a suggested excess incidence rate of 20%. That's what it's got in the paper. But again, I can't understand that. This doesn't make sense to me. What, how am I supposed to use that information? So again, I take, okay, if it's 40 cases over diagnosis per 6,500 people screened, that's 6 per 1,000. Very similar to the actual number in the NLST, isn't it? about the same actually. That's helpful, it backs up and verifies, it makes me feel that makes sense. So I find this information much more useful than that which is uninterpretable to me. I don't know how I'm supposed to use that. Yeah. And then third we come to table four, which is an incredibly interesting table. It's the cause of death of deceased male participants at 10 years follow-up. Okay, the important information. So let's just break this down. The first bit of information is the cause of death, and here's the lung cancer deaths, okay? 160 in the screening group versus 210 in the control group, well you can see that's less, and that's 0.76, that's where you get the 24% reduction. Everybody happy with that? That's your lung cancer specific mortality. But look, there's a really important piece of information, okay, which is down here, but you Again, you see how here we have the numbers and then suddenly we now go to deaths per thousand person year. Why did we do that? What's going on now? And in fact, when you do that, what you see is here is actually there's no difference. And in fact, there's 1% more deaths in the screening group than there is in the non-screening group. Which is really interesting. You're like, hold on a minute, what, where's all this mortality going? And if you go on the table, you'll see, well, I'm speaking to Jeff Aronson today. I mean, are there any clinicians in the room? Sign death certificates. I've done death certificates. How many people would say the cause of death is symptom signs and abnormal clinical and laboratory findings? If you did that as a death certificate, you would be in front of the GMC and they'd be going, you don't know what you're doing. That's a medical student, potentially. It's got all these elevated tests. So I'm like, these people are supposed to be blindly allocating this, but somehow you're 86% more likely to die if you've had screening from symptom signs and abnormal clinical and lab findings. Just somewhat not right in my mind there. And not only that, look at this. You're twice as likely to divide, die from endocrine and nutritional and metabolic diseases. So imagine if I released a paper saying screening increases, doubles your risk of death from endocrine and nutritional and metabolic diseases. You'd be incredibly worried about that. So this bit of the graph is extraordinary to me. What's going on? That actually, although you're talking about this reduction in lung cancer, there's actually some increases in other diseases. So what I do then is I try and bring everything together into one piece of information that helps me understand it. Okay? And this is what it looks like. This is a flow chart which I do for even I put the important information about the, who's in the trial, and so I take 2,000 high-risk individuals, 1,000 have lung cancer and 1,000 don't. Yeah? So the first thing is, there's 132 dead there and 130 there. So there's a little bit more, but you can see there's no difference really, is it? But there are some deaths. There are 24 of these are caused by lung cancer, as opposed to 32 here. 
But extraordinarily, there are 108 other causes here compared to 98. You're about 9% more likely to die from another cause if you have screening. Oh my God. And then under of the 1,000 screen, you have 71 will have a positive screening test. Of these, 31 will have lung cancer, 40 will be false positive, and of the 31, 6 will be overdiagnosed. That's, that, that's my one slide to explain to you about lung cancer and the effect of screening. Now, if I was in a decision-making mode, if I explained and showed you people there, and we can come back to the end of this talk, we might put it up, it can help you really understand simpler the numbers when you do it this way. But actually, it takes a bit of time. I've done this for years, and it still took me a bit of time to tease around the paper, to pull them bit of information. But every table in the paper is unhelpful to me to get to this point. Isn't that interesting? And all the information we want is in that way. So I think this is incredibly interesting when it comes to decision making. And I wanted to point this, this is a systematic review that basically shows of all the studies, you put them all together, that actually you come to the same example. It doesn't include the Nelson mortality data, but when you add that in, you'll see there's no mortality effect. And it gets this pretty similar, about 20% reduction, uh, suggests that screening is superior in lung cancer survival. Lung cancer survival. Okay. Now, there are four really interesting epidemiological concepts to think about. Lead time bias I'm not really going to discuss, but that's why five-year survival rates are a waste of time. The more you screen, the more your people pick up earlier, the more they're going to live longer, but you might not affect overall survival. That's a very clear, clear concept that we understand and starting to understand. But ten years ago, everything came in five-year survivals. And the classic one is in America. Our five-year survivals are 80% for prostate cancer. In the UK, they're 5%. And that's why we can't have UK national health care, but actually the mortality rate and the survival is identical. You die at the same point, both the US and the UK. You don't affect survival. But this is competing interest. Competing interest, sticky diagnosis bias, and slippery linkage bias. Isn't that interesting biases? So the first is competing risks. Competing risks means that things compete for, your, for our deaths, don't they? And one of the problems is, again, is if you censor people when they've had the event of interest, so if they die of some other cause, it means they can't die of lung cancer either, can they? So you also have a mathematical problem that you take them out of the analysis. And therefore, actually overestimate in the screening group the event rates if you don't account for competing interests. Yeah? So some studies don't take account of competing interests and prostate cancer is one of the best where we know you do that. People detected with prostate cancer are more likely to have something else but in lung cancer it's incredibly important but there are also mathematical issues in terms of the censoring which is important, and this paper is really neat, because what it says is your Kaplan-Meier hazard ratios overestimate the effect if you don't account for the fact you're taking people out because you censored them when they died. The second thing is these two concepts, which are really interesting. We run a, a thing called the Catalogue of Bias, and it's fun. And these are two new additions to the Catalogue of Bias. Sticky diagnosis bias occurs when death from other causes in the experimental group, say in the screening group, are incorrectly attributed to the disease that is the target of screening. So you could do it both ways. You can say, oh, I think we're interested in lung cancer. We're going to attribute this 
to lung cancer because that's in our minds. It's a, it's a, a sort of heuristic that happens. But you can do it the other way, when you flip it the other way, which biases the favour of the screen group. So you can do it the other way when you're slippery. And so there are different biases occurring, which particularly can occur if you're really invested in screening. You might falsely attribute things to biochemical factors when actually they may have had a lung cancer, they may have had something happen, you've removed the lung cancer but a year later they die and you don't go, well actually maybe that was attributable to lung cancer. So you slip the diagnosis. So I'm going to finish here with this position statement that the World Health Organization talked about. I think it's very important in terms of screening must lead to an improvement in end results defined in terms of mortality, physical, social and emotional function, pain and satisfaction among those in whom early diagnosis is achieved or in the other members of the community. Why is that important? Well, okay, I'm okay if you have a screen-detected group that actually there's no overall mortality effect if you affect some of these other issues. So, for instance, if you can remove my lung cancer at stage one and I have a better quality of life because of that, I still die at the same point. Um, that's a worthwhile intervention. All of the outcomes have health-related quality of life in there, but nobody has reported the health-related quality of life beyond the first six months or a year because all they're interested in is the emotional impact of the first six months after screening and they say everything's okay. By a year you're okay. But actually really interested in what's the overall impact of quality of life, but none of this has been reported. And it's really quite an important issue that what we're stuck on is this measuring screening is where it started with, is this idea of a cancer-specific mortality is why we screen. But actually a common phenomenon is we don't improve overall mortality, and that's exactly what's happening in lung cancer. The question now is, and this is where the debate is, is quite a significant number of people consider we should now roll out CT screening based on that Nelson data. Some people who keep writing to everybody saying this could be a significant error because it will divert re resources so that when you need your diagnosis there won't be enough radiographers there to help you and that you need to be treated quickly. You could invest the money somewhere else, for instance in amazing smoking reduction. You've got a billion pounds to play with. You might actually, if you can get people to smoke less, that'll be still the biggest prevention and public health issue you can do with. So if you were the person faced with that graph, where would you spend your billion in the next year? Would you spend it on CT screening or would you spend it on something else? Thank you very much. <laughs>